This is episode number 614 of the Inner Fight Podcast. Welcome back to another episode of the show. No matter where you are in the world, thank you so much for taking the time to listen to the Inner Fight Podcast, downloading it, iTunes, Spotify, Switcher, or directly from the website, all those different places, which you know because you're listening to it. Share it with your friends. We would really, really appreciate that. Shout out to our show sponsors, Smith Street Paleo. Please do, as I always say, hop over to smithstreetpaleo.com. Check out what's going on. Cook the food yourself or give them a shout at hello at smithstreetpaleo.com and they will talk to you all about meal plans and getting the food delivered directly to you if you live anywhere in the UAE. Today's guest is a former World Ironman champion, Mr. Faris Al-Sultan. He's actually the second World Ironman champion we've had on the show. We've had Pete Jacobs on the show twice. Faris won the coveted Kona Ironman, the World Championships in 2005. And he's taken some time out today during his visit to Dubai to chat to us. Super cool guy. Very interesting perspective. And no matter if you're into Ironman, triathlon, or any form of endurance, it doesn't matter. You're going to get some value from this show. He speaks honestly. He's very straightforward, very amusing, very inspiring. And I hope you guys enjoy the show. Let's have a chat with Faris Al-Sultan. Welcome back to another episode of the show. And this one is all about triathlon. As sat with us is former world champion of Ironman Triathlon, Faris Al-Sultan. Faris, thanks for taking the time to chat to us. Thanks for having me. Mate, I guess it's, I guess it's welcome back to the UAE from, from what we're just chatting about there. You've had ties with the UAE for the last sort of 28 years, so people might know your name. Tell us a little bit of background on the ties you've had to the UAE, how you have a German accent but a Arabic name, and, and then we'll get onto the Speedos later. <laughs> Well, uh, it's uh, it's uh, pretty easy. Um, my dad um, is from Iraq, uh, and um, he was uh, one of the best twenty best students um, of the of his year, and uh, so he was allowed to study abroad. Right. Decided to go to Germany, studied there, and decided to stay. Uh, met my mom, and that's why I have the Arabic name uh, and the German accent. Yeah. And uh, obviously, he uh, had ties to the Arabic world, and um, he was translating for some of the local families when they first came to Munich in order to get uh, medical treatment. Wow. And uh, that's how the strong ties between Munich uh, and the UAE, (coughs) local families, um, started uh, in the first place. And my dad was kind of helping translation and you know go into uh, offices and uh, to doctors and all that type of stuff and uh, so I came here 28 years ago for a holiday and uh, when I started to be to become interested in triathlon and uh, training on a more ambitious level um, I decided uh, to exploit the, the nice roads and uh, <laughs> the sun and um, yeah give it a go and give it give it a shot mate it's interesting you say that because a lot of people have taken to triathlon recently here, and we have beautiful cycle tracks. But as someone coming from Europe, and, and what I'm saying is people a lot take it for granted here, the conditions. But as coming from Europe, you must have just been like, wow, this is almost perfect. Well, it is perfect. And uh, especially, you know, when I came here first, well, let's say not when I came here first, but couple of years into my coming to the UAE, um, conditions were were super perfect because 
there wasn't that much crazy traffic going on. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. Uh, you could still ride on the highways. Right. So in the Emirate of Abu Dhabi, you know, I was I was ride one of the first people to use the Al Ain Abu Dhabi highway wow. when it wasn't officially opened. <laughs> uh, so I was on there with my bike and um, and the weather was so nice, you know, between December and yeah. uh, and end of March, it's yeah. absolutely beautiful. And back home, you know, you have to go through snow and uh, <laughs> yeah. wind and cold and um, yeah, so that was uh, cyclist's paradise. Give us a little bit of background how you actually got into the sport, mate. How did that start? Because it's, I'm always interested to see, we see these champions, but I know it's not just when you're stood on the podium, a lot has happened and there's always a catalyst. Well, it all started when I was 14 years old. I was a little bit overweight and decided to lose the fat. Uh, I hardly ate for six weeks, lost about 15 kilograms. Um, the fat was gone, unfortunately, the muscle as well. Um, I decided I have to do some kind of activity. I was always was an active child. I simply ate more than uh, I, I burned off. Yeah. And um, the swimming club I was a member of was uh, looking for new talent and uh, for its competition team. And I decided to give it a shot. And uh, my original thought was I only want to train three times a week. Gain, gain some muscle, you know, to get a go with the ladies, maybe, yeah, and, uh, um, and and be able to eat normally. But all of a sudden, I was training five times a week, uh, six times a week, seven times a week, wow. uh, then two times uh, in the gym, twice uh, dry land exercises, and uh, I was um, doing real sports. Yeah. Um, on the other hand, it was obvious that I won't be a great swimmer because I simply was too late um, into competitive swimming. And then I started, uh, I looked for the next challenge and I said, okay, I want to run an, a marathon. So um, when I was 16 years old, I signed up for the Munich Marathon. Um, and uh, then I saw um, TV coverage of Ironman Hawaii and Thomas Hellregel, the first German to win Ironman uh, Hawaii. And I said, that's it. That's what I want to do. I can swim. I can run. I'll learn how to cycle. And <laughs> then I'm fine. And uh, when I was 18, I did my first triathlon. For a brief moment, I was also considering long-distance swimming. But uh, after um, a serious conversation with the, one of the best German long-course swimmers, uh, long-distance swimmers, uh, um, where he said, you know, you have to do 15 kilometers in the water at least per day. I was wow. like, ah, no. Yeah. <laughs> I stick to triathlon. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and then uh, I started going in, and um, my second triathlon was Ironman Lanzarote. Second triathlon, an Ironman triathlon. And Lanzarote, which isn't an easy which one, I can tell you. <laughs> quite, quite up and down. Tom, you're with us, and obviously... Very keen triathlon fan. The goal of yours is is to get to Kona, where, where Ferris has been many times. When you, I guess, when you, when did you first hear Ferris's name, and and how did it come around? Uh, well, I think when when you won in two thousand five, I was sort of uh, aware of you then. Twelve years old. Yeah, I remember <laughs> watching it. it. Used to be on uh, Transworld Sport. Yeah, that's Channel right. 4 yeah. In the UK. Yeah. And then I actually worked for a bike shop who stocked stalk bikes. And you were always the guy who was shown 
on uh, in your speedos riding they always had you on a poster and whenever they used to come down and do a display of their latest uh, tri-bike whatever it was they'd show different tri-bike models and there was always a bloke in his speedos and I was like that's <laughs> Faraz al-Sultan and uh, I always remember I always put those two together stalk bikes and uh, Faraz <laughs> mate let's let's talk about that we mentioned it a few times you you've become famous you're all of your pictures you race this long course in speedos now I'm super fine with it I think I would also do the same and the crop top that's that's totally fine with me but in your era it and now even it's not something that's done where did it come from well of course I got asked this question very often and <laughs> it's a very simple explanation you know back in the day that was the attire that you'd wear so if you look at old pictures from Dave Scott and Mark Allen that's what they would wear. Right. So the only difference was that when one-piece suits became popular and or uh, the, the longer shorts, yeah. I simply stayed with the Speedo. Um, of course, nowadays the problem is with a Speedo, you won't win Kona anymore simply because of the aerodynamics. Right. And the biggest change in the last you know, five to eight years um, regarding the Ironman racing is the clothing. Yeah. And you simply lose against someone with the with the newest suit. Right. Um, it's about fifteen to thirty watts, depending on what you ride. Yeah. Um, and so this is this is, this is one of the explanations, or the the biggest the, the the major factor for all the fast bike times that we see nowadays right. is the clothing. It's not right. that the athletes push more wattage than we used to do back in the day. It's simply because uh, they put um, much more emphasis on the aerodynamics. I mean, you that, that's quite an interesting comparison because your your time in 2005 compared to Patrick Langer's time is about 20 minutes different. You're the coach of Patrick Langer, so you have all that data. And that's the, the, the watts are, are similar, but the dynamics r related, I, I, I would guess also related to the bikes and and the clothing, that's where the difference comes from. That's what we're saying. Well, with, with Patrick, of course, it's, it's, uh, um, it's, he's not the same type of athlete that I was. Right. Um, so he is even pushing less watts than I did simply because he's, for some reason, simply because he's lighter. Yeah. Yep. And, uh, I, I had the, the rule of four, um, to explain arm and performance. So if you're able to swim a minute and a fourth of a minute, so one minute 15, Per 100 meters, if you can do 4 watts per kilogram, and if you run a 4-minute kilometer, you'll win the race, more or less. This is the range. If some guys... Simple. Yeah, <laughs> some guys might, you know, swim a bit faster, ride a bit slower, run a bit faster. But this is kind of the rule of thumb. So if, if you're in that area, yeah. you should be in in the top range right. and uh, I remember Pete Jacobs said in, in his uh, in his uh, uh, post win speech at the awards he said I haven't done anything special to win the race I've done what is necessary to win the race right I was like oh yeah this is this is this is real you know yeah. this is uh, <clears throat> and, and if you look at the times for, from the last from the last 20 years so if you if you take out the factor of clothing a little bit aerodynamics you know, it's approximately the same performance yeah. that yeah. the winners have done. It's incredible because obviously we're seeing a lot in the news at the moment about Nike and this 4% shoe. 
and you know and then we see Kipchoge run so fast earlier or at the end of last year and you know the the, the argument continues are athletes getting faster or is technology changing and from what you said technology is changing Technology is changing, yeah. Well, nonetheless, I mean, Kipchoge is a great athlete. Otherwise, sure. you can't simply do that. You yeah. know, it's not only the shoe, but yeah. Uh, yeah. but the shoe helps. <laughs> That's for sure. Mate, let's talk about the rise because you did your first Ironman, as you said there, Lanzarote, nineteen ninety-seven. Eight years later, you're you, you're the world champion of this sport. In the sport, we've seen it happen, but generally, people will. It could take a longer period of time. I think for your, you're, you're 40 years old or 41 years old? 42. 42. So you, a lot of these athletes are, so you won Kona like 15 years ago, basically. And a lot of people are, are quite a bit older than that. Yeah, it, it, that's has simply something to do with when you start with Ironman. Right. So I started pretty early with long course. So my peak was earlier. And right. obviously, my career expired a little bit earlier. Right. So, you know, usually you in the top 10 in Kona, you have about half the guys are, you know, uh, like short course athletes by by uh, their upbringing. And about the other half is kind of the, 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 the other guys, you know, yeah. they came from another sport or started early on with long course. And so uh, it's about half and half. And uh, so usually everybody has about a couple of really good years and then, yeah. you know, it, it dies down a bit. And uh, so this is how the, usually how the dynamics work. Were you surprised that – did you surprise yourself or, and was it a surprise to people that you got to the World Championship so fast? I mean, you went there first time in 1999, if I'm not wrong. Yeah. No, I mean, it was a, it was a gradual progress. You know, if, if you look at my first – my first visit in Kona, I was uh, 55th place, and then um, I was 27th, and then uh, I was 7th, then I was 3rd, and then I was 1. And uh, so it was, a, it was a constant progress, and obviously this is exactly how you want it to be, yeah. you know, was just you walk the ladder up, and, uh, um, and, and, and there is no bumps on the road, but just, <laughs> just going up. And uh, I... I never thought that I actually could win it um, because, uh, you know, back in the day there was uh, Peter Reed who was kind of the favorite. And uh, But uh, when I had the chance to, you know, my, my motto was always, you know, I try to make it as hard as I possibly can for the others to win. And uh, if it's enough, then it's enough. But, uh, you know, I make them suffer for it. Germany really dominate out in Kona don't they you won it in 2005 Norman Stadler won it before you and after you in 2004-2006 then the Aussies owned the podium for a few years but not since 2014 has another nationality stepped on the top step obviously there's three guys we know well Keenley, Langer and, and Fredino how much of an effect does each one have on the other do you think of course obviously a tremendous one um, <coughs> I mean the, the German triathletes always complain about not being in the media back home as much as they like to be. But if you compare it on a, on a worldwide level, we are very well represented back home. And uh, Jan Frodeno and Patrick Lange, you don't have to explain those names in Germany. So because, they, 
I mean, they both were uh, sportsmen of the year, and so I mean, these guys are someone, and uh, they make some uh, nice money, and uh, they're well represented. And of course, all these athletes, they they challenge themselves, and of course, the other guys, and uh, they also, of course, draw up the whole sport um, in Germany. And uh, which obviously is a great thing for us back home, and that's why triathlon is so popular back home. So it's not uh, it's not totally about the pork knuckle. The pork knuckle, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> I, 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 I'm just. I, I was just sausages. like, ah, I can't. I can't imagine Fudeno and Lange sit down for a pork knuckle. <laughs> okay, at least we've ruled that one out. Brilliant. Do you? Are you, do you think those three are aware of what each other one is doing? Do they try and find out what the other one is doing at certain times? Because there's a little bit of, I don't know, you could maybe shed a bit more light on it, but Fredino and Lange are quite well known for going back and forth at each other a little bit. Um, Keenley, everyone likes. Does it, is it kind of, oh, let's see what they're doing? Or do you just say, here's what we need to do. We've got the data. We're such a data-driven sport. Don't worry about what they're doing. Well, I personally, I'm not such a big data geek, um, but of course, it's a data-driven sport. I mean, you know, uh, you gotta hit the right numbers, otherwise, you know, it's your rule of four, yeah, uh, yeah. So at least, at least something, you know. I don't, ha I don't necessarily think that you gotta be go crazy about it all the time, um, but obviously, that's that's a part of it um, to to know your data. Um, and uh, the the relationship between Lange and the other two guys isn't the best. Um, sometimes, of course, you know, it's a bit over-exaggerated by the media yeah. because they want that. For example, with me, it was the same with Norman and me. And Norman and me, we were like, you know, we, we, we didn't have a relationship at all. You know, I, I didn't like him, yeah, but there was nothing like hatred or anything. It was like... Okay, you go that way, uh, I go that way, and yeah, and of course the media wants that want struggle. Yeah. yeah, they they want to spice it up, um, and uh, that was to some degree also the case with uh, with Keenle and uh, with uh, with Lange last year for ex uh, so in 2018 for example. Yeah, um, there was a kind of a spicy article in the the, the um, Frankfurter Allgemeinen Zeitung, and uh, that. Uh, Yeah, you know, they poured a little bit of uh, oil in the fire. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do you think because of your relationship with uh, with Norman Stadler and now you obviously are into coaching, did, you, did that help Patrick? Because he, he won back-to-back -back, uh, races, obviously, with with those things going on. You're, you're by his side. Are you helping him out with things like that? Does he get worried or is he very much his own person? No, he was a bit worried and... Uh To be honest with you, I think his second victory was a tremendous feat um, because he had those troubles with the with the media and with Keenle before yeah. the race, and the swimming didn't uh, go well, and uh, and he was untouchable that day. I mean, I knew when he was in Kwai High coming back, and you know he was so relaxed on the bike that yeah. I knew. There is no one to beat him. <laughs> It's just impossible. It's, there is no one to beat him. 
And uh, so that was something really special, and uh, he he kept his cool and stayed calm and everything. Uh, unfortunately, last year that didn't work so well, and he was conf more or less confused during the whole season. Do you think he was such a relief to, to having that back-to-back -back title that he found it hard to get up for the third? Mm, yeah, you know, I mean, <clears throat> you often you often say that that an athlete, you know, who has reached that big goal. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of mentally exhausted, mentally tired. I don't think that would describe it properly. It was different. It was, he, he simply couldn't get his footing and training wasn't right and we couldn't, you know, increase the volume as much as we'd like to. And there was always something going on. Yeah? And you can imagine, you know, it is, was quite overwhelming once you know after you're sixth place and you come back home to germany you're not really interesting but uh, <laughs> after winning it you know everybody wants a piece of you and then was strenuous for him mate let's talk a little bit about your rise through 2000 really through sort of 2003 to 2004 obviously kona is a special place no one really goes there the first time to win it Although you saw, and that's what kick-started your, your maybe addiction to this sport, when did you feel? Did you feel in 2003 or 2004, yeah, I've done my time here at Kona, I can come back next year and I can win this thing in 2005? Or how does it go? No, I mean, as I mentioned before, it was always about trying to be as good as I can, trying to fight with the best. And uh, I would have been happy with not winning it. If, you know, for me, it was always the most important thing. I've done everything I could. I tried as hard as I could. Yeah. I gave it my all. If that wasn't enough, then that's fine with me, you know. It wasn't about winning. It was about, it was always about, you know, putting out the best performance that I possibly can. And uh, it's more like I don't, I don't want to lose. Right. And that's more of a, of a, um, what drives me then I want to win right you just hate losing yes I hate losing and I want to, to be able to say okay I tried everything I didn't make mistakes I I did did it all and if that's not enough then I'm fine with it was two, was when you won in 2005 was that the best race that you'd raced in Kona well the best shape that I was in was probably the year before right um, and I've had other races I mean the when I won Ironman Frankfurt in my fourth trial there, and we had horrible weather, and it was it was a very special race. I immediately knew that I won't be able to dig as deep in my whole life again as I dug then. And wow. uh, I I always say that on the Main River, I left a piece of my soul. You know. <laughs> I gave it my all, and I was crying when I crossed the finish line. So uh, that was very emotional and yeah. very hard. And, uh, you know, everybody who was there that day, uh, you know, knows how special that race was because, I mean, we had horrible conditions. Yeah. And, uh, you know, if you have horrible conditions at Ironman Wales, 
Okay, that's a given. You know, they were, every year they are horrible. Then <laughs> in, in Frankfurt, that was never the case. Tom's so. been telling me for so long how Ironman Wales is such a great race. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the best race. <laughs> it's the if, race. if you like it, cold and rainy and miserable, then that's your race. And Illy. Uh, uh, yeah. Talk to us a little bit about that side of, of being a professional triathlete, mate. There is... We see you on the top step. We see you when, when we were younger, we see you on Trans World Sport or I see you on the Corniche in Abu Dhabi. This guy is just, I, I knew you were coming because the helicopter's coming and then I see you. I'm like, wow, this guy's incredible. But you live for 365 days of the year. You train hard. It's emotional, physically. It's mentally draining. How did you manage that? And, and, and how, how was it? How was it for you? You know, often people, tell you about the sacrifice this, that they had to do and for me coming to the UAE and do the whole day nothing else but training wasn't a sacrifice <laughs> holiday that was like is there something better to do <laughs> to be honest after after four weeks in El Ain you know it was like okay I don't want to see any Indians I don't want to see any Arabs I don't want to see anyone I want to go home but you went home, you saw your friends, you went out, you know, had a nice night out, um, were drunk, everything was done. And then after 10 days, you're like, okay, what am I doing here? Let's go back to the UAE. Really? That was it. And uh, I never had any trouble to do the volume. I always had trouble to do the hard stuff. So I knew I need to have someone around when it's necessary for me to do, you know, the 16 times 400 runs and uh, uh, the, the hard swim sessions. And um, I needed someone for that. But, you know, if somebody was like, okay, we're going for a six-hour bike ride into the desert, it's like, okay, what else, Let's you know? Go, yeah. And so I never felt that I have sacrificed my youth for the, for the triathlon or something. It was like... That was what I wanted to do, what I truly wanted to do. Yeah, I think that's, I think we, we hear that a lot, don't we? We hear, you know, people make sacrifices, you missed out on this, you missed out on that or the other. But if you've understood why you're doing something, then it's actually, it's a pleasure. And it, it wasn't even about the fame or the money or because it was your job. It was simply, I, I liked it so much, especially when you see that it's, it's a very selfish approach, of course, because yeah. the, your whole being, you know, evolves, it revolves around yourself and your yeah. performance and how you improve that performance. But, uh, you know, you went to the UAE and you did your first hard session on the bike and it was ridiculous. And then next week you would improve and the next week you'd be better. Then you would do the Wolfie ride with the crew and you would kill everybody. And, uh, <laughs> you know, that was fun. There, there was yeah. nothing better than that. Yeah. So... You know, that, that wasn't a sacrifice. I'm interested to hear about your victory in 2005. From the swim, how did it go? Take us onto the bike and the run, because this is the this is you just wanting to be the best version of yourself. What do you What do you remember the most about that race? Well. You know, it first started, uh, obviously, with the swim, and we were pretty soon, we were in a three-guy group. Uh, there was a Japanese guy, a short-course athlete, Tayama, uh, Simon Lessing, and me. And uh, what I still remember, after the turnaround boat, um, the, the Japanese guy, Tayama, was leading the whole way. 
And after the turnaround boat, I said, okay, well, let's relieve the poor guy and, uh, you know, I'll try to do some, some of the work. And so I was in the back and, you know, I, I turned out and I was like, oh no, can't do that. <laughs> back in, <laughs> back into the feet. I was like, okay, dude, I can't help you. You're on your own. <laughs> so I have to, <laughs> to cling on here and, <laughs> and just, uh, and just keep following. And, uh, obviously, Tayama wasn't up for, for the, the whole thing. And, uh, he was confused when he entered the transition zone and, uh, we dropped him immediately. And, uh, th and then I dropped Simon Lessing. And, uh, later on I got overtaken by, uh, uh, by Torbjörn Sintballe. And uh, it was a very hot day. And Torbjörn, big Danish guy, um, had trouble with the heat. And he was experimenting, you know, already back in the day he would uh, um, uh, swallow a capsule to measure your temperature. Right. And, uh, and, and he had a plastic glove to put in ice cubes to cool him. And w what I didn't know, so, and it was a really, really hot day. It wasn't that windy, but it was very hot. So when I passed him, I ran for a couple of seconds behind him and I was like, Wow, Torbjörn, pretty hot today, isn't it? And he must have thought, you idiot, <laughs> I'm dying, you pass me and you give me that. And it, it, it wasn't an intention at all, you know, I, I didn't meant to hurt him, but <laughs> I guess it hurt. So, and then uh, on the first run turnaround, you know, I had three minutes, um, three minutes gap, and I knew, okay, I can't hold off three minutes that's just too little yeah but you know i have a good rhythm and i keep it up and uh, and i was really surprised i, I uh, there was uh, cameron brown and peter reed they were following me and uh, and they weren't coming so i was like okay we keep on and uh, let's make them suffer and that's what i did and uh, so nobody came and uh, and you know Two years in a row, Thomas Hellregel, in 1995 and 1996, he was overtaken at kilometer 39. So I I had paranoia. Uh, I was That's what I was going to ask next. <laughs> I was turning around every six meters to look <laughs> yeah. for somebody overtaking me because it has happened to Thomas twice yeah. and to see if I have to, you know, launch uh, an, another attack or something. And But there was nobody. I had five minutes. It was a great gap. And, uh, but I truly believed it when, uh, when I saw the finish line. And, uh, it took me another six months be between my victory and those, and, and the next, for the next six months, my life went on autopilot. And, uh, I won it, but, you know, often you hear that, that people don't realize that they won because so many things happen automatically you know you go to the interviews you go to the awards you do this you do that and then you start training again and and everything is like y you have no time it, it, it doesn't sink in yeah, but right. after six months I remember I was taking a shower and I I was like pinch somebody please pinch me have I really pulled it off really and six months later six months later and this was such a great feeling you know wow. and um when, yeah when when on the run you, you said you had three minutes and then you, you knew you had six minutes 
was there a point where you're like, I've got this in the bag. I'm going to win. As I said, I was, I was turning well, around every 10 meters and uh, I, I really believed it when I saw the finish line. Only that, when you saw the yeah, finish yeah, line. Yeah. Then, okay, now I'm relieved. Now I can, I'm no sure that I, I, I can do it. Can you explain what it was like crossing the finish line? I have zero remembrance of all of that. My crossing the finish line and let's say the first hour after that is all erased from my brain. Why do you think that is? Well, you know, you, you race for eight hours. You are deprived of carbs. You're deprived of hydration. Yeah. You're mentally in such a crazy state that, you know, it's just... It's normal. Your brain wow. doesn't work yeah. normally. Wow. That must be... It's crazy. The um, What's his name? Mike Riley was calling you down the finishing shoot, and you didn't really... <laughs> have you watched it many times back or at all? Um, sometimes, of course, um, I watched it um, when I saw it. Um, yeah. Um, but... Uh, and of course I see it but you know as I said it's there is no it's not, there. It's not there Incredible. it's not there but right. you know that's a small price to pay so <laughs> I'm totally cool with that yeah. <laughs> is it the greatest victory of your time of course I mean it's there I had other victories that were very very satisfying and the third place in the following year was probably more relieving for me than the actual victory it was so much hard work the year after the the, the victory in Kona um, that uh, that was m more satis almost more satisfying but of course I mean this is the race of the races and yeah, if you're able to pull it. it off then I mean there's nothing else <laughs> yeah you were you formed a team in Abu Dhabi a triathlon team what there's not been many formed since. There's a, there's maybe one or two people would know about. Um, one over in Bahrain, Bahrain Endurance. And then you might call uh, uh, Brett Sutton's camp more of a team. Those guys, maybe. There's not many, though. Do you think that's where the future lies in triathlon, is within the team side of things? Well, first of all, you have to understand the reason. And our reason, the reason of why me and my friends would do it was because we would look at cycling teams and how they look, how professional they look. And if you have a triathlete, you know, yellow shoes, red shirt, blue helmet, black bike. <laughs> Rob Jones. <laughs> Rob Jones, yeah. We looked like parrots. <laughs> and I was like, how is that possible that you have third class cyclists that at least have a professional look and you have first class triathletes that look like parrots <laughs> and I want to create it, that was the, the, the reason for the team was never that it's an individual sport so it was not like that you were holding hands and staying all together the, the whole year that, that wasn't the case it was mainly the case to provide each other with a, kind of a marketing platform and of course training partner at some point would be good and uh, so the strategy was that we spread out the athletes to create uh, social media content on a year round basis and you know if 7 or 8 or 10 people you know 
provide content for a site, you know, it's very likely that at least one of them has something to say per day. And, uh, um, you know, often, you know, you're bombarded with, uh, with nonsense. Uh, mm. And uh, so that was the idea. We create enough content and uh, we have uh, um, a corporate identity and uh, you can bring on your own sponsor, you know, at a certain place. And uh, and you look solid, you look the part, and maybe you even look more professional that your income is actually really like. But you know, fake <laughs> it, fake it till you make it. So <laughs> at least you look cool. Yeah. So uh, and we weren't paying crazy money to the people. Often, you know, with the with the UAE, there's always uh, that connection. Oh my God, they they, they bathe, bathe in gold, and nobody has to work here, yeah. and uh, the oil is flowing. Yeah. So uh, no, that's not the case. And uh, we were really solidly funded and paid solid money, nothing crazy, so in, in order to enable everybody to do his sport. Yeah. Uh. And what's your thoughts on the PTO, which has just been announced, the Professional Triathlon Organization? Do you think it's good for the sport? You know, it was tried before. Um, basically, we all know about the benefits of it. And... Uh, it all comes down to how well it is done you know it's not about that it's the bad idea nobody would argue with that but it has to be done properly and as I said it has been uh, tried before and it hasn't worked very well but uh, yeah we'll see it's uh, it's very hard one thing I want to whilst we're sort of on the structure of the sport and a little bit around funding obviously mate over the last 20 years you've seen the Ironman brand come from something quite basic to now I mean, 70.3, how many races is there on a weekend? It's an absolute monster of a brand. There's more pe people participating in the sport, What, which is fantastic. What's your thoughts on how Ironman as a brand is positioned? And maybe where do you think it'll go in the future? Well, it will grow because you have so many countries that have a developing middle class and... The, the people that belong to that class are no longer satisfied with just things that they can buy. I mean, we are here in, in the Inner Fight studio, and you see people that have the Porsche, that have the Rolex, and what they want to do is they want to do something that they cannot buy. Right. And athletic performance is not buyable. You can buy the best coach, you can buy the best equipment, but you got to run yourself. And no matter how much money you have, you have to do it yourself. And this is so much more satisfaction than buying the next Lamborghini or whatever, um, yeah. if you have the money. That is not satisfying. Yeah. And, uh, of course, you need a certain income to allow you that luxury because the poor worker guy that is here building the structures, I mean, he has other problems. Yeah. But as soon as you reach a certain financial security you're looking for a new challenge yeah. and uh, an iron man is filling that void it's cool it uh, it has uh, the three big sports um it is a, a cool name it's a cool brand the races are at least most of them are very well conducted and organized yeah. so uh, th that provides some satisfaction yeah, to the athlete cool. Um, and so it will grow and of course you know often athletes that are in the sport for a long time laugh a bit about yeah now you have your 150th uh, 70.3 and I say 
I do not care who wins the 70.3 in Mongolia. I don't <laughs> care. If, he, if the winner needs five hours, then so be it. But there are 2,000 Mongolians doing triathlon now. And that's good for everyone yeah. who's involved in the sport. Yeah. So, and there is nothing bad about it. And of course, you wouldn't compare the five-hour winner of Ironman 70.3 Mongolia to Jan Frodeno. Right. I mean, there's a big difference. Yeah. But we have established the sport there. And that's why there's nothing bad about having a lot of 70.3 races yeah. and trying to get as many people into the sport as we possibly can. Yeah, I think it's a very good point. It's I know such you, a good way of describing it. I know you love Iron Man as a brand, Tom. <laughs> I absolutely despise it. I think they, they should pay more to the, to the pros and they should charge the guys who want to get into it less. But the, the, the pros were never, never the first priority of Ironman. Ironman's first priority is always the age grouper. That's it, because the age grouper pays. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> they, they, they are not simply not that interested. And especially if you're a second or third tier um, pro yeah. athlete, yeah. you don't impossible. care. Yeah. You, 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 you're not important at all. Yeah. And uh, if Jim, Jack or John wins 70.3 Mongolia, that doesn't interest anyone besides yourself and the fans in Mongolia it's it's it, it's dramatic but that's how it is yeah. and uh, you know if you're Jan Frodeno you you count if you're Patrick Lange yes but uh, you know you can't go further down the ladder you know a little bit then, then no, that's, that's it, it. Yeah. yeah it's um, very interesting but the the argument the, the point of of Iron Man always was that they provide the stage and I say well, if the stage is perfect, I don't care. You know, take Tour de France. The Tour de France prize money is ridiculous compared to the athletes. It's compared to the income, they don't, they don't even take it for themselves. Yeah. They, they spread it around the team. So they make their money with their sponsors and with TV. And that's a totally, totally fine model. And that totally works for me in, in at Ironman as well. But then the stage has to be perfect. And right now, the live coverage is not perfect at all, and yeah. we got to invest there and work on that. And um, and things have to be improved on that side. And then I can live with you know that the pros don't get appearance fee, and and that because then you can you can bring other sponsors into it and uh, make your money money another way. Super interesting thoughts, mate. I want to sort of round things out. You won. The World Championships in 2005. You're now coaching Patrick Langer, who's won twice. Not anymore. Not anymore. Not anymore. Patrick. Patrick has left uh, last year. Okay. And uh, um, as I said, there were some issues and uh, um, didn't want to wear the speedo. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> well, let's let's wind back because the future is not my question. The past is. What's the secret? You won. And then you coached him twice. Is there a secret? Is there a method? What can you share with us? Because obviously everyone wants to know the secret. <laughs> I have to. I have to disappoint you and, and all the <laughs> listeners. Um, there is no secret. One thing's for sure: you got to bring the volume in. That's 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 key. Um, but you mentioned Pete Jacobs. You know, for yeah. example, he was famous for not training a lot. Yeah. Um, He's so still not training a lot. <laughs> So there, there's a famous for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, he is. I never forget. Uh, Pete was here in uh, Alain with us in the training camp, and uh, we were like, Pete, you want to come for a bike ride with us today? 
Pete looked at us and he was like, "Why? I rode yesterday." <laughs> okay, <laughs> can't can't argue with that. So, but basically, you have to have a certain a certain amount of volume, otherwise, it doesn't yeah. work. And um, and the the other thing is, of course, the more efficient and and economic your movements are. The, the better it is and uh, and that's for example that's the secret with Patrick is, right. is a very efficient running style right. and uh, that's only to some degree coachable right. no. so what's the future for, for you mate within the sport over the what's any plans what where do you stand well till the end of the year I'm with the German Triathlon Federation and then we'll see um, you know I coach uh, only two professional athletes at the moment um, and and uh, You know, when I retired in 2015, I thought, okay, that's it. That, that's it. Uh, then I was on a, on a TV show in Germany. Uh, then I had a sponsorship contract when after my retirement. Uh, then uh, I co started coaching Patrick and became two-time world champion coach. <laughs> uh, now I'm the head coach of the German Triathlon Federation. So uh, life was good. There was always something new coming up that uh, that was exciting and uh, and so I'm totally relaxed looking into the future and see what it holds. Very cool. Uh, yeah, really cool outlook to have post yeah. retirement. <laughs> right, it's uh, it's cool. I, I I know I sort of set up that question about the secret and you gave the perfect answer, but everything everything you've said today is super straightforward. Work hard, take care of your own shit, and. If you work hard enough and take care of enough of your own shit, good things happen. It that seems it seems like that's pretty much your motto, right? It is. It is. That's it. Amazing. Any more questions, Tom? Come uh, on. Why weren't you at Track Tuesday this morning? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, why didn't you come and run with it? That's what you have to promise us, mate. Uh, Next time you're in town. Well, enough riding with Wolfie and all his uh, weak riders that you just used to smash up. Uh, yeah, you, you know, I'm not in the shape of 2005 anymore. So <laughs> I, I'm so happy that I can bring in a few hours of training here and here. And uh, a track Tuesday would kill me for the next three days. <laughs> think, are you still training? Do you still, you're obviously still in great shape, mate. Um, yeah, I try to get in as much as I can. Obviously, um, I have to work at least a little bit for the federation, so <laughs> I can't cycle that much anymore. Yeah. Um, but I'm still around, running around uh, 35 uh, on a 10k, so that's nice. okay. Um, and <laughs> just fine. <laughs> that'll, that'll work. So, and do you, any do you enter any races these days, or is that not interesting anymore? Uh, I have. I don't do any triathlons anymore since yeah. my retirement, but uh, I did swim, run, cycling races, so several stuff. Uh, and uh, for this year, I decided to do again uh, a swim run race in Italy. But it's a it's a warm one. It's a single race. It's a three hour race, so it's nothing crazy. And it's just to give me a little bit of a goal um, to nice. prepare for. Mate, final question: best piece of advice you could share with people if you had one piece of advice to give them? You've given a lot this show, but if one, what's your best? Take it easy. The sport is supposed to enrich your life and not make it more miserable. And that's you know sometimes you see these these uh, age group guys and they're like, oh, and I have to do this and I have to do that. And you're like, why don't you simply enjoy that? It because you have so many responsibilities and uh, and the sport is there to make your life better, not worse. Amazing. Thank you so much, Faris. Absolutely brilliant, mate. Lots of motivation, lots of home truths, and I'm sure you've inspired a lot of people. So thank you for giving us your time. Thank you for having me. Awesome.